Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. And we are beginning to end our study of 1 Peter. Um, no guarantees on how long we'll be in chapter 5. You know how I work. Uh, but we are, we are nearing the end. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what the apostle writes. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And Peter, as we've seen all throughout this letter, is, is writing to Christians who are living in exile. Primarily Jewish Christians, but those who have been scattered because of persecution for their faithfulness to the gospel. And here, as we come to the end of this letter, Peter, just like Paul does in many of his letters, gives some attention not to uh, the people in the pews, but to the guys in the pulpits, if you will. He turns his attention to those he calls elders, those pastors who are among them. And so, as we walk through this passage, I just want to answer some questions about these elders that Peter references. So first question is simply this, who are elders? Who are the elders? When we look at that word elder and you go back into even the Jewish community, elders were those who were appointed as rulers among the people. And you go back as early as Exodus chapter 12, when Moses was sent by God to lead Israel out of bondage, he, he gathered who when, he, when God gave him instructions? He gathered together the elders of the people of Israel. After they were led out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and Moses was serving as sort of a, a judge over the people, uh, his father-in-law came to him and said, Moses, what are you doing? You're wearing yourself out. All these people are bringing their burdens to you, their, their problems to you, and you're having to solve everybody's problems. And Moses says, well, what do you want me to do? You know, and how many of you would go to your father-in-law and trust him to just outright say, what do you want me to do? Uh, you might be afraid of the answer you would get. But Jethro, being a good, godly father-in-law, came to Moses and said, Listen, appoint some other people from among the people that you can trust to help you in this work. And they were the elders, the, those who were, uh, who were there to, among the people of Israel to help Moses lead. So Jethro tells Moses to appoint people to help him bear the burdens of the people. But we're not in Israel, are we? We're a part of the church and that idea and that office or that uh, position of elder is carried over because, well, the church in the early days was primarily Jewish. They were Jews. And much of that carried over. And God has ordained it. The elders are seen early in the New Testament church. As we've been reading through Acts uh, on Wednesday nights, you've seen some of this. A relief was sent to Judea by the hands of Barnabas and Saul from the church at Antioch. And Acts 11 says that they delivered it to the elders. Luke tells us 
in Acts chapter 14 that when Paul and Barnabas were going back to the churches that they had seen through their first missionary journey, they went and they preached and they had established these churches that they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see these elders popping up in churches. They are those who have been appointed by God, by the Holy Spirit, and uh, by the, the apostles. And so in our understanding of the word elder today, without spending too much time on it, we would just understand an elder to be a pastor. Elder and pastor, those words are somewhat interchangeable. Now, elder does not mean necessarily older though that is often the case. I have to make this point because I'm 29 and most of you are older than me. So elder does not necessarily mean older, though it is often the case. Paul actually had to tell Timothy not to let anyone despise his youth. Timothy, being a young man, uh, might have received some of that common criticism of, of inexperience. And, uh, but just to be fair, in the list of qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, uh, we were told that an elder may not be a novice. That is, an elder or a pastor should not be a new convert, and I think for obvious reasons. So age isn't necessarily the issue, but it's an issue of spiritual maturity. And just a note on the side along the way, just throwing this in, uh, there's always in the New Testament when you find elders, there's always a plurality of elders. We've sort of got this model in, in the South, in Baptist churches and in our area, where you've got, you've got a pastor, and then you've got a deacon board, and that's your spiritual leadership for the church. Look at the New Testament. That's not exactly uh, how the church functioned then. You, you might have more than one pastor in a church now if the church is big enough. You've got a senior pastor and a youth pastor and a children's pastor and a worship pastor, and they're sort of specialized in their jobs but when you look at the New Testament, elders were just the spiritual leaders of the church. The, each church was given more than one to work together and to lead the congregation. But these elders, these are the ones that Peter's writing to in these first few, chapter, few verses of chapter 5. And Peter, beginning this chapter, though he is an apostle, identifies himself with the elders. Look at verse 1 there again. He says, the elders who are among you... I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, in the New Testament, we've got these apostles, these people who had been with Jesus. Peter says it outright, I who am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. John said the same thing of, of that which he had seen with his own eyes and had, had touched with his own hands and heard with his own ears. The, the word of life. Peter was one of those men. Peter could have invoked an authority over these elders as an apostle, but he comes alongside these elders in chapter 5 and simply says, I who am a fellow elder with you, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. I don't say this asking for any or looking for any kind of sympathy or anything like that, but there's a there's a sense in which only pastors know what it's like to be a pastor. That's why pastors' best friends are usually other pastors. Uh, I'm thankful for good, godly, faithful pastor friends. I really am. 
because they know, they know what it's like to be a pastor. They understand the spiritual battles that come along with that, with the, the issues that you face and, and things that maybe people say, whether they mean it or not. You have other pastors who can sympathize, who can come alongside you and walk with you through these things. And it goes the other way. And so it would have certainly encouraged these pastors, these elders, and these scattered churches that have been persecuted to know that Peter, the apostle Peter, this guy that walked with Jesus, was right alongside him. He says, guys, I'm right beside you. I'm experiencing what you're experiencing. I'm with you in the trenches. And I think that's Peter's goal here is to encourage these elders, these pastors. So that's who the elders are. But the second question is this, what do elders do? What do elders do? It's a very simple job description. Verse 2 says this, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Now we could talk for a long time about shepherds and what shepherds do and how it relates to the job of pastors. You know, things like protecting from danger, driving away wolves or false teachers, searching for the ones who have strayed from the fold, caring for the wounded. We could go down the list and think of all of those things. But here's just one thing that I'm convinced had to come to Peter's mind, and it tends to take care of everything else. You remember that Peter was the one when confronted with that question, you know, weren't you one of his disciples? Didn't we see you with Jesus? He had denied him. He had denied Christ three times, and then Jesus had died, and Peter was broken. He wept bitterly over that. And then he, he hears that Jesus has been raised from the dead on the third day. He goes to the tomb, and there's nobody there, but, you know, who really can know? And then it's not much time at all. He's heard that Jesus says he wants to meet with Peter and the disciples and they're out fishing and Jesus calls to them from the shore and Peter just jumps out of the boat and swims in and leaves the rest of the guys to have to deal with the fish and the boat and all the cleanup. He just wants to get to Jesus. And they sit down around this fire and three different times Jesus asks Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you really love me? And maybe it clicked in Peter's mind that he's had an opportunity now three times, the same number of times that he denied Jesus, to confess his love for him. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But what was the command that Jesus gave each time Peter confessed his love? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And if you had to take all the jobs of an elder, all the jobs of a pastor, one who shepherds the flock of God, and you had to narrow it down to really just one thing, it's that. It's feed the sheep. You see, as a pastor, it really doesn't make uh, any any significance at all. It doesn't matter at all what my opinion is about how you live your life. My opinion doesn't amount to what you might call a hill of beans. What matters? The Word of God. What matters when it comes to how you live your life, your relationship with God, how this church is led, how it functions and serves in its community, how it 
states its mission. So what does the Word of God say? And you got guys that get up all the time and put on a really good show. They're great speakers. They're good entertainers. And they can really encourage you and pump you up and do a whole lot better job than guys like me. But listen, the job of a pastor is simply this. Feed the sheep. Billy Blakely, many of you know him, used to say that uh, he had this friend that had horses and, and he wanted to go see him and he called him and he had already fed the horses for the day, but he called the horses just so Billy could see him. And while they were there, uh, he fed them again. He said, well, what are you doing? I thought you said you'd already fed them. He said, yeah, but if you call them, you better feed them. Because if you call them and you don't feed them, then what's going to happen next time you call them? They'll quit coming. And he turned that around and he looked at me and a group of pastors that was there and he said, if you call them, you better feed them. If the people are gathered together on a Sunday morning, they've come. You better not stand up there and tell them what you think, what happened in the news that week or, or anything else in the world. He said, if they come, you better feed them. That's what an elder is supposed to do. That's what a pastor is supposed to do, to feed the flock. This is your life. This is your nourishment. This is what you need. Paul told Timothy, this passage that we all know, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But he didn't stop there. He tells Timothy, here's what the word of God is. Now, here's your, here's your command. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Listen, this is the time we're in. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside into fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's the calling. That's the job of an elder, of a pastor, to preach the word. Not to scratch your ears, not to tell you what you want to hear, but what has God said? That's what you need. He elaborates just briefly on what that is to shepherd the flock. He says, serving as overseers. Serving as overseers. It goes right along with being a shepherd. You might use the word supervisor there. You may not like the idea of someone watching your life. Maybe that makes you a little bit uncomfortable that somebody's keeping an eye on your spiritual progress, hopefully more than just your pastor. Hopefully you've got other Christian friends around you who keep an eye on you, hold you accountable. We all need people who help us see those things that might be in our blind spots. Many of you in conversation have heard me ask this question. It's my usual go-to question. How are you doing in your walk with the Lord right now? Now, I might ask that question, and some of you say, that's none of your business. That's private. It's me and the Lord. Well, not really. The Christian life can't be lived in solitude. You need the church. You need God's people. You need pastors. 
That's what elders do. They shepherd the flock. They oversee. Sometimes that means pointing out sin and things that make people uncomfortable. Don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. Third question is this. How do elders do what they do? We know who elders are. We know what elders do. But how do they do what they do? He says this, verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly. The work of ministry is a delight. It's not drudgery. It's not something to be dreaded. If a pastor has the kind of ministry where he dreads getting up and going to church on Sunday, or he dreads getting into the Word to study, he dreads meeting with that couple from the church to see what their problems are, he might need to find another calling or search his heart and find the problem. Isaiah, when God called him, he said, you know, who, who will I send? Who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Hand up in the back of the classroom. Here, here I am. Send me. I'll go. Now, Isaiah wants you to let, no, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. They're not going to change. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. That's not to say there's no sense of compulsion in ministry. Paul, Paul said this, and, and whenever I was at the point where I really felt like this was the, the path God was leading me on, that ministry was the direction my life was going to go, this verse, someone just was just reading it, and in passing, it's like it just hit me right in the face. Paul says this, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I do not preach the gospel. So there is a, a sense of being compelled to do it. But he says in the next verse that if I do this willingly, I have a reward. There is a sense of calling of, I have to tell people what God has said. I have to preach the Bible. I have to warn sinners of judgment to come. I have to proclaim the glories of the Savior. There, I feel compelled towards that, but it's not drudgery. It is a joy. It is done willingly and eagerly, joyfully even. How else? He says, well, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That verse needs to just be plastered on some TV stations, right? Not for dishonest gain. This is the requirement of an elder. 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives that list of, of requirements. He says this, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. He said in Titus, Titus 1.7, For a bishop or a, a pastor and elder must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Now, that's not to say that pastors shouldn't be paid, as some people think. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. There are some, and listen, I've heard it. You're laughing, but it's, it's out there. I've heard people say, well, we don't pay our pastor because we don't want to tempt him with greed. So you're going to make his life hard. You're going to crush him. You're going to work him to death and make him have to have another job, too. 
so that he's exhausted and can't really serve you the way God's called him to. That, is that what I'm hearing? No, Scripture is clear that a laborer is worth his wages. He says, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. It's okay to pay your pastor. Please continue. But if this guy ever walks in here or to a finance meeting and says, guys, I need 100 grand next year. I know I'm not making anything near that now, but uh, I need it and I want it. And if you don't give it to me, I'm, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to go find something else. See, I heard somebody just say, see you later. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not taking advantage of people. Not exploiting the ministry to make a profit. Any man who enters the ministry for profit is no shepherd at all, but he's what Jesus called a hireling. He cares nothing about the sheep. He's just there for what he can get out of it. The next thing he says is, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. Lords over those entrusted to you. This is supposed to be normal Christian living. You wouldn't think he would have to say this to the pastors, but in many cases there is a unique temptation to some, for some pastors to take that authority and that biblical authority that's given to their position and abuse it. Jesus said in Matthew 20, Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, not just pastors, but Christians. It's not supposed to be that way among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your servant. Slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If there was anyone in all of human history who had the right to demand service, to demand worship, to demand a following, it was Jesus. God in the flesh, yet even the Son of Man, even God in the flesh came not to be served, but to serve. To give His life for His people. That's how Christians should live, not to see how, how high we can climb on the ladder, how much we can get over the people who are around us, but how can we humble ourselves and serve one another? How much more then... That one in the role of the pastor. To serve the people that have been placed under his care. He says this, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. The church has been entrusted to the care of pastors and elders. And any pastor who takes that little bit of authority that God has given him and tries to blow it up and expand it and, and lord it over people and abuse it, as many have done, has no place in ministry. How much more does that apply to elders, pastors in the church? He says, but being examples to the flock. Now, to any pastor who has an ounce of understanding, this is actually one of the scariest parts of the job. Paul said this, and this is bold. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
I don't know if I can bring myself to say that. Hey guys, I'm going to try to be a model Christian in front of you. I'm going to try to follow Jesus, so I want you to look at my life and do what I do. That can be dangerous ground. But it's the calling of pastors. It's the calling of elders. That's a bold statement. Now, wherever I deviate from imitating Christ, you just ignore me and follow Christ, okay? We clear on that? But as far as I am imitating Christ, and as you're trying to follow Christ, follow me. That's really what it's all about anyway, isn't it? It's all about following Christ. Following Jesus. See, I'm just a pastor that's trying to follow Christ. You're just Christians who are hopefully trying to follow Christ. The difference is I'm trying to follow Christ in front of you all and praying that God will use me in some way to help you in your following Christ. Listen to what Peter calls this Christ. He's in verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears... Peter says, yeah, you guys are shepherds, you, you pastors, you elders, y'all are shepherds. But one day someone else is coming and he's the chief shepherd. He's the one who's really in charge. Pastors are shepherds, but we just work for and follow the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We read it in John 10 just this morning. Jesus is that good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. There would be no church at all were it not for Jesus, the good shepherd. He died for you. See, he, just like I once was in sin, living for self and my own desires, in rebellion against God, just as many of you were at one time in that place, some of you maybe still are, the things that you're living for are not God's desires, but they're yours. They're not God's priorities. They're yours. They're not righteous things. They're sinful things. And if they are things that aren't necessarily sinful, they've become sinful because of the high priority you've placed them in your life. But Jesus is such a good shepherd that even though we were sheep going astray, Turning our own way, wandering about in sin, heading for the cliff, heading for destruction, destined for hell. He did what? He died for us. See, my sin, your sin, our rebellion deserves punishment from God and that punishment is hell. Some of you very well may be headed there right now. But Jesus, because of his love for us, laid down his life willingly, sinlessly, righteously, did all the things we could never do, lived the sinless, perfect life that we could never live, yet laid his life down willingly for his sheep. And in his death, he took all that punishment, all the judgment, all the wrath that you and I deserve, and God dumped it out on him. And he experienced wrath for all mankind. The hell that you deserve was poured out on him when he died on the cross and he died for you. That's a good shepherd. He did it so you could follow him. So that you could be his sheep. 
part of his fold, part of his family. He is the good shepherd. David made it personal back in Psalm 23 when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. And all people for all time can turn to that psalm and read it aloud and say it to themselves, The Lord is my shepherd. Because of Jesus. He can be yours. And Peter says that he's the chief shepherd who's coming again. He's coming for you if you are His. When He comes, He will come as judge. He will have punishment for those who are living in sin. And He will have rewards for those who belong to Him, those who love Him and follow Him. And I don't mean to make you all jealous, but there's a particular reward for those who serve the church as shepherds under Him. He says so, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's something I can look forward to. I pray that God will call more men, raise up more men in this church, through this church, who will serve as shepherds for Christ's sheep, for His church. It may be that in time to come that God will call some of you to serve, whether it's in this church or another. This is what He requires. And for the rest of you who may never serve as a, a shepherd, a, a pastor, an elder in your church, this is a standard you need to hold your pastors to. And just like you have blind spots, I have blind spots. And once in a while, I need somebody to say, you know, that attitude you had at that last meeting. Might need to work on that. My wife's giving me a look right now. <laughs> but more than that, I pray that if you're not His, if you are not His sheep, that you'll repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, that He will become your chief shepherd, the one you follow all your days. Let's pray.